Hello, I'm Cheryl Broderson, and I'm in studio with... Jasmine Allnut. And we have a special guest today. Yes, we do. But we'll get into that in just a second. <laughs> I was at a retreat. I was actually uh, the speaker mm. uh, a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago. And they asked us on this panel, like, who um, is your greatest, like, influencer from the past? Like, you know, who in history? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just stopped for a second, and I thought, wow. You know, I do have people from the past whose stories I've read, obviously. Yeah, clearly we I, have, yeah. <laughs> right, that have really, like, impacted me, blessed me, um, inspired me. Mm-hmm. But I thought, we need to talk about the people today. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the people today um, go unregarded, unknown, because we're so kind of focused on the past sometimes. Yeah. And we don't support them like we should. Right. We don't pray for them enough because they're there. Yeah. And so today in studio, and I am so, 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 so excited, <laughs> is Chris Rep. Mm-hmm. And Chris has been used so mightily by the Lord. Chris, I met you how many years ago? Do you, Can you remember? In Austria. Yes. At the conference. That's right. So I believe, ooh, at least... Was it 20? Yes. I think it was. 20 years ago? It was when I just had moved back to California from England. Hmm. And Chris had a word for me. Well, actually, she said, can I tell you my story? And I said, sure. We sat down, and she began to tell me her story, and I was mesmerized. And like you were reading a missionary biography. It was. A, it's a living missionary biography, which I love. And as um, she talked, I was so convicted by the Spirit. Wow. And she looked at me, and she could see the conviction rolling over me and she's like I don't know if you even remember this but she was like Cheryl are you having trouble with your mission field because Hmm. when it stopped being England Hmm. and the English who I kind of understood and I could see a difference with but Hmm. when they became my own and my own peers became my mission field I was struggling to love and to appreciate and to minister and being and, back where you grew up, too, yes. I'm sure. Yeah, it's like, And Chris him. asked if she could pray for me. Wow. And I remember when you pr- prayed, I just broke. I mean, <laughs> it was like a cleansing sob. I just broke. And the tears just began to flow. And I've never been the same since that day. Wow. Never. It just really was transforming. Sorry, there I go again. The cleanse. <laughs> so, Chris, I'm so excited. Um, for those who you who don't know, I wrote a book uh, years ago called A Woman's Battle for Grace. And in that book, I think it's the last chapter or the second chapter to the last, I feature Chris, just a short snippet mm. of her life. And I'm so excited, again, to have her in studio. So, Chris, could you just give us a little background of how you came to know Jesus? Mm. Absolutely. (laughs) When I was a little, a wee little girl, (laughs) I had a dream, and it wasn't to be a ballerina. It was to be a medical missionary to French-speaking Africa. No! Very specific. Yes. (laughs) A medical missionary to French-speaking Africa. Now, mind you, I didn't know the Lord. This was just some crazy dream that I had in my mind. I say that. But it's not true that it was a crazy dream. Right. Because in the Word it tells us in Psalm 139, 16, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Mm -hmm. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So as a little girl having this dream, I started to pursue it. I took French in grammar school. I named my frog Antoine. (laughs) And then as I got out of high school and was in college, I decided to go as a nanny 
and live in France. And so I had the opportunity to use my French. However, during that time, I had gotten very uncomfortable with where my life was going. Everything looked great on the outside. I grew up in an affluential home here in Southern California, and I just looked like the picture of success, like I had it all, like I had all the friends I wanted, and I was going where I was wanting to go. But inside, it was like having a cup that was empty. And I was trying to fill it with all the wrong things. It was a void that God had created specifically for him. And as I just reached out to the things in the world, drugs, alcohol, things like that, I became more and more sad, more and more empty. Those things did not satisfy. And because I'm a person that loves to pursue life with a passion, I pursued those things that were harmful with a passion. Mm. The Word tells us that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, came to give you life and give it abundantly. The enemy had come into my life at that time, in my early teens and to my early 20s, to literally destroy me. And yet Jesus reached down, and he made me aware of who he was. I was so homesick when I was in Paris. The mm -hmm. first three months, I was ready to just pack my suitcase and return. But I had the wherewithal to get a hold of my nanny. Her name was Nanny. She was my <laughs> maternal grandmother, and she knew Jesus like no one I had ever known in my life. Wow. She was a very simple woman that had this relationship with Jesus that was permeated every bit of her being. I asked her to send me a New Testament. And during that time in France, as I worked as a nanny, I read through the New Testament. And that's when Jesus started to really reveal to me that he was alive and then he loved me. Mm. As I returned to the United States, I put that Bible back on the shelf and unfortunately dove back into my hedonistic, sinful lifestyle. But the Lord allowed that to show me that it was even worse than I had ever felt before mm -hmm. because I'd had a taste of truth mm -hmm. and love. So that's the point where I gave my life totally and completely to Jesus. I went on a truck by myself. My friends couldn't understand why I was leaving the party Friday night. I was going to go find a church. Wow. And it was interesting because I ended up in a very, very conservative Pentecostal revival in a small residential home in El Cajon. Hmm. These people were dancing and singing and carrying <laughs> on. And I kept getting these thoughts. I don't belong here. This is, you know, this is not me. I, it was during the, the hippie area. And I, right. I was sort of kind of like a hippie-ish per person. And uh, But as each time that thought came to my mind, another thought captured it. Keep your eyes off of people. Put your eyes on me. Wow. Hmm. wow. And I remember that to this day. I don't remember what was preached. I did ask them to baptize me in water that night. But one of the things that has stuck with me throughout my 40-plus years of knowing Jesus intimately is keep your eyes off of people hmm. and put your eyes on me. Because I have seen time and again when people have put their faith in leaders and people who say that they're Christian in organizations, in anything but Jesus. You see, Jesus will never fail us. Mm -hmm. He never will. 
Mm. And people, all people are sinners. We all stand on level ground at the cross. Mm. So that started my incredible journey with Jesus. So wow. when did you become a nurse? When did you start or enter nursing? Okay. I came back from, uh, let's see, it was 72 when I came back from France. Mm. And then I got married in 74 and graduated from nursing to school in 76. I started nursing school a week after I got married. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was in a two-year program okay. and um, got my nursing training then. Mm-hmm. Now, did you take to nursing? I had Kelly Arroyo, who I know is a friend of yours, which is right. just such a, as we call it, a God wink. Um, <laughs> but how um, she gave her testimony just a few weeks ago and was talking about how um, nursing hadn't been on her radar. And when she did it, she realized, this is what I've wanted to do with my life, all mm-hmm. my life. Mm-hmm. Was it like that with nursing for you? Well, as I said, I wanted to be a medical missionary. Right. To French you were little. Africa. Yeah. I, in my head, wanted to be a doctor. So I actually mm. started pre-medical studies before I went to France. Okay. And I was disillusioned with the program. Mm. I felt like I was capable but I felt like I did not want to go back into that system. And I had a friend that was in nursing school, and she was so encouraging. And she said, Chris, you, you should check into this. You really want to be a nurse. You don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> but there were a couple things, and I feel like the Lord really dealt with me. One of them was pride. If you become a nurse, are you going to feel like that's not enough because of what people think? Mm. Yes, maybe so, mm-hmm. because I felt like inside I was capable of become a, becoming a physician. Well, would you let me, if I want you to be in nursing, give you the ability to do what your heart is desiring even so? Well, Lord, I don't want to ever stop learning. I mean, I just want to learn like what the doctors learn. I, wanna, I don't want to stop learning. Why would you have to stop learning, Chris, <laughs> if you became a nurse? Well, I guess I wouldn't. Yeah. And the other thing was, of course, the income. And I thought, well, no, that wasn't that important to me. So I pursued nursing. And I can tell you today that, honestly, I never looked back. And he, the Lord, never allowed me to become bored in my career. (laughs) I went to a simple associate degree program, not even a bachelor's. I came out of that into an intensive care ICC unit, unit. Wow. Then from there to paramedical nursing, from there to burn ICU, from there back into a a level one emergency trauma center for about 15 years. And then um, as a stat nurse carrying a beeper for the entire hospital there. From there, I went on in my mission work to Guatemala where I was working as a provider. This is outside the scope of nursing, totally in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So here I am challenged to learn how to prescribe, what Mm -hmm. medicines to give. From there, I started doing dentistry and learned how to do extractions and was trained by dentists. From there, I did that for 10 years and then started learning minor surgery and then got to do lots of minor surgeries in Africa. And I can tell you honestly that it has been wonderful because I haven't had to deal with the paperwork. I haven't had to deal with litigious attitudes. I have gone into places where these people have absolutely nothing. And a lot of people um, would kind of turn their noses up at that and think that, oh, well, you're just a nurse. How can you, why would you be doing that? And um, 
But I find it's similar to the medics when they have experience in war, that when you've pulled several thousand teeth, you do have experience. Seriously. (laughs) um, When you learn from people that have gotten that training and you continue to learn on your own, um, you become able to perform things that higher education doesn't necessarily um, prepare you for. Pre- well, it mm-hmm. prepares you for it, but it is not necessarily required mm-hmm. at that mm-hmm. point. And yeah. I don't. Mm. I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. But I'm just saying that in my own personal story, God had this planned for me, so I have been able to work as a uh, like a doctor. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. They call surgeries. me a doctor in, in Africa, and I quit correcting them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just quit because to them, that's what I do. And so it has been such a privilege, and it is, has been my heart's desire. I love that, how the Lord qualified you for mm-hmm. these things. Now, so I cool. want to talk about how you got launched into this, because mm. you're launching, um, again, your vision of being a, a, a missionary doctor you know, to French-speaking Africa <laughs> was definitely on the back burner through marriage yes. and career and, uh, you know, house settling in. Um, I know you had two sons. And then how did the Lord launch you? Because, you know, I think uh, it's interesting because uh, you were older. You had two sons when the Lord launched you. So I think this right. story is so yeah. incredible, too. Yeah. There's right. so many. <laughs> well, it, once I got married— and planned a family and then had my children, I really felt that maybe I had gotten it wrong Mm -hmm. because my family was clearly uh, important to me and my husband. And then I worked at the trauma center, and I was content that that was my mission field. But I I had this desire to, to go international in my heart, but I tucked it away. I tell people there's things that I put on the back burner of my life. And so what happened is it wasn't my intent for my marriage to break up, Mm. but my husband and I split up. He left, and I had my two boys. But Jacob, my oldest son, decided to go to Germany for a year, and my younger son, Corey, was 12 years old. So by that time, I had gone on a couple missions with my children in the summertime to Mexico as a leader and as a nurse, chaperone, and we had had a great time. In fact, the first time that I went in 1990 with Craig Finley and the kids, oh. <laughs> hauling a U-Haul trailer and, and a 17-passenger van full of teenagers plus my boys who were 7 and 11 years old at the time, um, I stood on the plane in t- outside of Tijuana and thought, it happened. I'm here. Hmm. I'm on the foreign mission field. So that was the first, the first mission. But then sequentially, the boys and I would go in the summer to Mexico. So after my husband, Rick, had, had left, and it was clear um, after about two years that he did not want to try to reconcile, I felt that God clearly wanted me to move on with my life. So what happened is, as I was saying, is my son Jacob went um, overseas to Germany for a year in a high school rotary exchange program, which left Corey and I. And because Corey loved Mexico, I thought perhaps he would love to go, and we could go for a year. I had been invited to run a clinic in Mexico. So one of the things that was a miracle is that I didn't think his father— would allow him to go for a year and be gone. 
So I literally prayed and prayed and even fasted the day that I was to meet with him and ask him for permission. And it was so incredible because I said, Rick, I'd really like to take Corey with me to do some mission work. And he said, well, how long will you be gone? And I said, a year. He says, oh, well, that's not too long. Sure. Wow. <laughs> Just that like easy. That. Okay. Just like that. <laughs> and so Corey and I ended up not going to Mexico. Oh. So before we left, but after I had quit my job, sold almost all my things, the mission director who was going to send me to Mexico said, I'm really sorry. The Mexican government has decided they want a national running the clinic. I said, that's okay. Send me wherever. Okay, now this is where I say I had more faith then than I do now, (laughs) at least about things like that. I ended up going to Roatan, which is an island. It's off the coast of Honduras. It's part of Honduras in the Caribbean. And on the west side of the island, it's a scuba diving mecca. On the east side of the island, it is terrible, abject poverty, just horrible, horrible situation. So Corey and I moved to the east side of a key that was off of the island of Roatan in the middle of the tropical jungle. And here I have my 12-year-old son that I've packed up for his junior high curriculum, first time ever that I would try to homeschool. I've got him in the jungle in the middle of nowhere with all kinds of mosquitoes eating us alive. He's waking up screaming with nightmares. And I remember one night with that torrential rain coming down, thinking, and my, the rain was coming out of my eyes as well, yeah. <laughs> just pouring tears. Lord, what is happening? This is so hard. But clearly I felt he had led me. And when that same mission director that had placed me there decided that our pioneering efforts on Roatan, which were to last a year, were not going to last because the situation just wasn't right, Mm. he said, well, maybe this timing is wrong, Chris. Maybe you need to go back to the United States. I said, no, no, Tom, I don't believe that. I believe that this is a test. I believe that this is the Lord seeing if I'm serious. Wow. So Corey Mm. and I found a really good niche in Guatemala. I had never even thought about Guatemala, but here we were very close, and YWAM had a base where they were accepting um, medical volunteers. And so Corey and I ended up living on the YWAM base in Guatemala for six months, and then I um, ended up living there for five years in the last several years, kind of off and on, back and forth between the states, because the situation with the boys was, it was really hard. That was one of the hardest, I would say the hardest decisions as a mother, trying to decide what was best for Jacob, what was best for Corey, and then what was best for me to do. And I always gave them the option of having a place with me, but there came a point in Corey's life, especially as he was with me, that he wanted to live with his father. And I clearly felt like the Lord wanted me to allow that to be, that they needed both of them to know their dad. Mm -hmm. And so I relinquished them um, in that way. And it was a fulfillment of Second Chronicles 20, where um, the Lord called Jehoshaphat 
to take his stand. Hmm. He told Jehoshaphat, the battle is not yours against the enemies, it's mine. Take your stand, worship, fast, and pray. Because I had sought the Lord on this about going back to the States or staying in Guatemala, letting Corey go or not. And when he, I felt like that word was given to me, I thought, well, I am worshiping, I am praying, I haven't been fasting. Hmm. So I started doing that. And I got clear answers through the years that that, that prayer and that decision was what was meant to be. Mm. Talk a little bit about what your life was and some of the things that you started doing in Guatemala, because you told me about some, uh, when I first met you, you told me about some of the work you had done in Guatemala, and I think our listeners would love to know. (laughs) When I started in Guatemala, I was basically moving there with the intention of getting Corey into a school because I knew that I could not homeschool him. So there was a Christian academy, and so I moved. I'm not a city girl. But I moved into the city specifically so that Corey could go to the academy. But there was a ministry that I found, and it was a ministry in the city dump. And so I started, (laughs) it was a a clinic. It was in the very middle of the dump where people scavenge and live off of the trash and recyclables. And we offered um, medical care during the day and then had Bible programs and worship times and services there. And that was such a blessing to work there but it was it was very very difficult Mm -hmm. not only because it was an inner city for me but just living in that squalor Mm -hmm. seeing how the people were um, seeing their lives and yet we saw so much fruit from that ministry Mm -hmm. but as i was working there I had an opportunity and met a man that works in the or was working in the highlands of Guatemala. And he needed someone to come with him or wanted someone to come with him that as he hosted intervarsity teams and in the mountains. Now these were mountain villages where there's no roads, so you have to hike in. So we had to pack in. We had mules that carried our medical supplies. And we would spend hours hiking into these mountain villages. Now, that's my cup of tea. (laughs) And I was able to take Corey with me, and he absolutely loved it. And Jacob was even able to come out there and do some of that. So that was really exciting. And it was funny because at the time, I told the pastor at the Guatemalan church we were attending as we were having a meal together, you know, Brent, I feel so guilty why do you feel guilty, Chris? Well, I have this life, this incredibly perfect life where I'm out. My work involves hiking, going into these villages, tenting, camping, working with these Mayan people in their huts, in their primitive lifestyle. It's The air is clean, everything. It's so rural. It's beautiful. He says, Chris, it's okay. It's okay. You don't need to feel guilty. That's about you can as, love what the Lord calls you to. That's about as far from a perfect life as I can imagine. That's right. That's right. And it's like him yes. saying that to me. I will never forget that because I thought, yes, this is how I'm wired. His mm. eyes have seen my unformed substance. Mm. I would rather spend the night in a tent than in a hotel. <laughs> and so that is not what everyone is totally. cut out for. And I just want to back up because I feel that Cheryl talked a little bit about um, 
her feeling of this angst about ministry in, in the city, in an area of affluence. And through the years, because I have done this ministry going back and forth now, not just living in country, but it's become where I travel and I return to the states and then I return to the countries. And so I have this constant entry, re-entry issue mm. going on. And through the years, the Lord has really taught me so much. I feel like I was so short-sighted. I feel like we as people, we see things in the physical world, but we need to grow in Him and realize what His Word says and what His nature is because it's so directly, diametrically opposed to Him. And what I mean is that people will look at someone like me, they'll put me on a pedestal. Hey, don't do that because anything on a pedestal can be kicked off, right? Yeah, boy, can fall that off. <laughs> yes. I'm still bruised. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's true. And the thing is, is that ministry here in the United States is one of the toughest mission fields there is in the world. Hmm. Yeah. And that in an area where everyone thinks they have everything they need, their hearts and their spirits are deadened yeah. and hardened to their need for Jesus. Hmm. Not only that, but he has people like yourselves who are doing ministry through radio programs, through Bible studies in their homes, through their own jobs, counselors, people like that. I even think when I'm in the field of that housewife that's standing over her sink doing dishes with her baby screaming and crying her husband off at work, making the money that is generating support for the work I am doing at that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You are missionaries here. And because you're not cut out to live in a tent and to go overseas, perhaps, that doesn't mean that this ministry here is any less important and needed. Sometimes I think it's more so. And as far as the wealth, everything we have in this world is from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Everything. If we appreciate it and we use it to glorify Him, there is nothing wrong with having wealth. Mm -hmm. I have lived in millionaires' homes been housed in their homes for 10 years during part of this ministry, free of charge. Those people their use yeah. their wealth for my blessing. And so I just wanted to share that with you because it is something that the Lord has shown me time and again. And I truly get embarrassed because I am not doing anything that I consider heroic. I am doing what I am passionate to do and what I love. He has given me the desire of my heart, mm. and he can give you yours as well, and it's all him. Mm. Okay, really that's good. just that's part yeah. one. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? One. Yes, amazing and insight you know there. Yeah. If you've been so blessed by part one of Chris's testimony, part two, I asked her if she'd share some of her adventures, and we're, I mean, her adventures are so great just how god has used her and thank you for lifting any condemnation uh, because we can That's support really good, yeah. those in the mission field by prayer and become partners with people like yourself through prayer and through uh, financial support and mm -hmm. even offering a home and the hospitality people don't think of that sometimes like oh that doesn't count that's not ministry you know I, we do like you said you get this vision of what really serving god is and unless you're suffering of, yeah how could that be the law 
part if you're called to it. You know, my dad told the story one time of visiting two uh, missionaries. And uh, my mom hates bugs, and she passed that on. Visiting two missionaries in New Guinea, and a bug ran across the table. My mom screamed, and the two women went chasing it down with, uh, like, oh, I don't think we've seen that one before. And <laughs> All excited. To, uh, yes, identify it. And you just realize God places you in the right occupation in the right place yes, for his great purposes. Mm-hmm. So again, that's part one of Women Worth Knowing. We're so glad you could join us, but please tune in next week for part two with Chris Rep. Yes, you won't um, want to miss that. That's definitely. right, because we're mm-hmm. continuing our medical missionaries. Yes, we are. Our medical women. Exactly. <laughs> okay, until <laughs> next week. Thanks for joining week. us. Yes. Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.